are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Our first reading is from Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 5. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Our second reading will be from Psalms chapter 22 and verses 14 through 19. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax and it has melted away from me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me, and a band of evil men have encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, O Lord, be not far off, O my strength. Come quickly to help me. Thank you for reading scripture, Mark. Really appreciate it. It's such a blessing to hear from you. And thanks everyone for sharing what you are hoping for. On Wednesday night, we were hanging out with our student ministry on Zoom and we had a girls night and the guys were having a virtual campfire night and trivia games. And we started talking about this question. What are you hoping for? And in Minnesota, May hits, we are all looking forward to summer and this year even more so. And yet there seem to be a lot of things that we just aren't sure what's going to happen. And we are hoping for a lot of things. One thing that the girls brought up was hoping to go get ice cream together at Amore. And I am all on board with that. I don't know if you have had the heaps of love ice cream there, but it is delicious. It's like everything that you can put into ice cream, Oreos, brownies, cookie dough, caramel, pecans. It is delicious. I am also looking forward and hoping that we can hang out and have ice cream this summer. Maybe you're looking forward to or hoping for time to go to the beach and go swimming. I heard girls talking about hoping to be back at the Y and back at church. There's so many things that we are hoping for right now. And Many are even at a deeper heart level than the ones I just mentioned. And I don't know about you, but that causes sort of this ongoing tension that lingers over my hopes right now. Fears of being disappointed. We know that there were things that we were hoping would happen in May, and those things have already been canceled. Sometimes I wonder, should I even be hoping? The ambiguity about what the summer should look like can be exhausting. I heard a phrase this week on a podcast I was listening to, and they called it anxiety fatigue. That really describes, in some ways, how I've been feeling lately. I don't know about you, but there's 
just sort of this exhaustion that happens because we're uncertain and anxious. There's also, I think, an ambiguity fatigue that I've been experiencing. There's sort of this inability to make plans to know what's going to happen. My hopes turn into questions like, will I be able to meet my family for the 4th of July? What will need to happen for us to get back together to worship at the Y again? What will school look like? And the list of questions goes on and on. On Thursday afternoon, I was watching Governor Waltz's update, and he said things look really positive. And he's explained that there's lots of reasons that we should be positive about what's happening. But he's also said he doesn't want to give us false hope. He did his best to offer genuinely positive, true message. But of course, he doesn't know the future. None of us do. And as I watch the latest update and as I Google search and read articles, I find myself just looking for little pieces of hope, for indications that we are getting closer to a vaccine or to better treatments and so on. Uh, But the time I spend on the internet so often leaves me with more anxiety and ambiguity fatigue than hope. And it's super important that we are knowledgeable what's going on in our world. But there are times when I've been so immersed in the news that I start to lose sight of the reality that I live in as a Christian, the reality where Jesus is above all. This morning, we have the opportunity to take our eyes off of our suffering and look at Jesus. And we're going to change our gaze to shift our focus to see what we can learn from Jesus' suffering today as we continue our series in Through the Valley. Today, Mark read for us from Isaiah and Psalms, and these are scripture passages that contain prophecy. They're not just hopes of the future, something that might happen or a prediction of what could happen, but they are a declaration of what will happen. Did you catch the difference? It's not a prediction, it's a declaration. And these passages point to the one who would fulfill God's plans and purposes for his people. They remind us that Jesus' suffering wasn't something that just happened, but it was the plan all along. A plan that God put into motion to save his people and restore them to right relationship. And it was a plan that would bring hope, a real lasting hope. The book of Isaiah is filled with predictions, these declarations of a future Messiah. And Isaiah 53 is actually written as a song. It's one of the most well-known songs that occurs in Isaiah. And songs are so powerful in expressing messages of what we're thinking and feeling, aren't they? Maybe you've got a song or an album on repeat right now during this time that helps you just name what you're experiencing or provides comfort, just kind of an escape. This particular song in Isaiah reveals a number of things to pay attention to. Today, when we read it, we cannot help but look through the lens of Jesus. But the people who would have originally been reading it, they would have read it with this sort of forward-looking, hopeful anticipation. So if you would turn to Isaiah 53 with me, and we're just going to walk through these five verses that Mark read for us. Verses 1 and 2 start by describing the humility of Jesus talks about him not really being like this attractive, charismatic leader that we might imagine, um, but it describes his humility. And this part about a tender root growing up could refer to Jesus coming to earth as a child and literally having to grow up. It also describes in verse 3 how Jesus identifies with people. It says he was despised and rejected, a man of suffering 
familiar with pain. Now, Jesus came to earth, and while crowds followed him at first, many people would walk away or betray him, including close friends. You might have been familiar with the way that the King James Version puts it, says that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. What does this mean that Jesus was a man of sorrows? Jesus certainly showed great joy in his life, but he also knew deep sorrow. He carried the weight of a world that had turned away from God. And so often when I think of sorrow, it's related to my own sorrows, the self-pity that I have for myself. But Jesus didn't feel sorry for himself, not once. He was a man of sorrows because he was carrying the suffering of the world. Isaiah goes on to describe a scene where people hid from him, and yet Jesus' actions were not dependent on the reactions of the people. Verse 4 talks about Jesus' suffering and our reaction. It says, Surely he took up our pain, he took up our pain, and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Don't miss this. On the cross, Jesus took our pain and brokenness, the sins of the world. In other words, humans failed to live in right relationship with God. We couldn't follow the laws or be in right relationship with God on our own. And because of this, we deserve death. We deserve separation from God forever. This was the consequence of our sins. Jesus never did anything to deserve this death, but he took our place. He bore our suffering. He took the death that we deserved. And what was the response of humanity? Well, Jesus must have been punished by God. Surely this is not our doing. But in verse 5, we get to the description of the plan that brought hope and healing in spite of us, but for us says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Now we don't use words like transgressions and iniquities or hard to say and who knows how to spell them. But in this passage, it is the crux of where our hope comes from. Jesus was pierced. There were physical nails driven through his hands and his feet. He was crushed for our mistakes, our mess ups and hang ups. We no longer have to be bound by sin. There is hope and healing and an opportunity to be in right relationship with God because of Jesus' death. And the healing, all the healing that we get to experience is the sweet forgiveness of Jesus that we don't have to live with our guilt and our shame and our sin anymore. We can live in the freedom that God has given. Jesus showed us that God's most powerful work on earth is so often done through humble submission and through pain and sacrifice. But you may be wondering, if Jesus brought peace and healing, then why do we still experience so much suffering? The place we are living in right now is an in-between time. It's in between when Jesus conquered death and when he will return to set all things right. And in this in-between, there is still great pain and suffering. Each year around this time, I am reminded of a tragic day from my freshman year of college. On April 26th, 
I was hanging out in my dorm room with friends and we found out that there had been a van accident and a 12 passenger van carrying four students and a staff member had been hit by a semi. The driver had fallen asleep at the wheel and we felt grief and disorientation and not sure what to do or how to go about what had been our normal life. Isn't this what grief does? It disorients you and you hardly know what day it's supposed to be. Our community came together to cry, to remember and to comfort each other. And as most of the 2000 students and staff gathered in the chapel that night, I will always remember the president stood in front of the chapel in front of over a thousand hurting, broken students and said these words from 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. We don't grieve as those who have no hope. In other words, we know that death is not the end of the story. Eventually we went home, classes had resumed for a little bit that spring semester and we all left campus for the summer. And we got an email not long after we all returned home that there had been a case of mistaken identity. And one of the girls who they thought had been dead on the scene was actually alive in the hospital and another girl had passed away. And so this family walked with a girl who wasn't their daughter for five weeks in the hospital. And there was a new wave of grief that set in as we discovered that Laura had passed away and Whitney was alive. But instead of being in community, we were all scattered around the globe, which made it harder to figure out what was happening. And yet, as we turned our attention to Jesus, we knew that he was present wherever we were. The next fall, Whitney returned to school and we had classes together. We planned our fall retreat together. And what was just as impactful as this story of getting to know Whitney was the way that Laura's family continued to point to Jesus. On the Today Show, they were asked this question, as people of faith, don't you ever ask, how could God allow this to happen? And Laura's dad, Don, the family that had taken care of Whitney in the hospital said this, not so much. Over the years, God has shown himself to us and we know of his character. We know that bad things happen to good people. We believe that God is sovereign and he takes an active part in our lives. And even in sorrow, there is joy. Even in sorrow, there is joy. Even in grief, there is hope. And I share this story in part because as a college student, I began to learn what it really meant to look for Jesus in a time of grief. There's so much loss around us all right now. The loss of memories, proms, baby showers, graduations, time with family, watching our kids play baseball games, road trips, many are facing job loss, the loss of loved ones. The amount of loss is overwhelming at times. And yet we are finding joy and sorrow through Jesus. The passages we looked at this morning from Isaiah and Psalms help us to name loss and walk through grief with hope as we remember the suffering of Jesus. The suffering of Jesus has the power to change our perspective on grief. It gives us an eternal perspective. We start looking not just at next week or next month, but we look and we know that this life is not all there is. 
there is an eternal perspective. This world is not our home. We belong to another kingdom. The suffering of Jesus has the power to bring meaning to our suffering. Have you considered that when we suffer, we actually join in the suffering of Christ? The cross brings meaning and purpose, and it makes us more like Jesus. Acknowledging our own pain allows us to identify with Christ's struggle, and in doing so, our gratitude, our feelings of thankfulness grow for Jesus' sacrifice. And it allows us to experience more of the power of the resurrection like Paul talks about in Philippians 3.10. It also allows us to share in the pain of others, to be a person of comfort and peace with that same comfort that we have received from God. Maybe you've even gone through a situation recently where you could relate to someone, you could bring comfort in a way that you hadn't been able to before because of the experience of suffering that you have had. We're in such a weird place right now where we are all experiencing this shared reality of suffering and yet it feels so isolating. The suffering of Jesus has the power to move us from isolation to belonging. We don't grieve without the one who knows the pain of feeling alone. Jesus gets it and he has deep compassion because he has been through it, all of it. And he doesn't always tell us why we're suffering, but he offers us himself. And in the middle of suffering, in his most lonely moment on the cross, Jesus prays scripture. He actually prays from the psalm that Mark read earlier, Psalm 22. And in the beginning of this psalm, David cries out with a question, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Maybe you resonate with that question today. These are the same words that Jesus cried out on the cross, but God had not forsaken Jesus on the cross, but his words portray the deep sorrow and suffering that Jesus felt. I want to encourage us today to come to places like Psalm 22 and find a language for grief. Is that what faith so often offers us? Is a language, a way to be able to articulate what's going on inside like a song. The last several weeks, we have paired a psalm with our scripture reading, and we've heard how these prayers of the psalmist describe how much of what we're feeling today. We resonate with questions like, how long, Lord? I want to invite you this week into a practice of praying scripture. I don't know about you, but there are times when I just don't have the words, or the words that I have just don't quite say what I want them to. When we pray scripture, our Bible reading simply becomes a conversation with God. I was talking to one of the senior adults from church a couple weeks ago on the phone, and he doesn't have the technology at home to participate in our online worship. Uh, And he said, I really miss being at the Y. He's grieving the loss of that. But he said, and I talk to Jesus every day. That really stuck with me. And praying scripture is simply another way to talk to Jesus. I love this quote from N.T. Wright, who's a writer, theologian. He's talking about praying scripture and says, that's why these prayers, these central early Christian prayers, going back in some cases to Jesus himself, like we see in Psalm 22, says these are worth learning by heart. That way you can slip into them when you're walking along or waiting for the bus, or peeling potatoes, or drifting off to sleep. 
One that I have prayed many times these past several weeks is only two lines. It says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. It comes from Psalm 56, 3. I encourage you to find a passage of scripture that become, become your prayer for the week. And the Psalms are always a good place to start. It might be longer than that. It might be shorter. But let it become a part of you so that no matter what you are doing, whether you are at work, maybe you work in a hospital or you're an essential worker that needs to be at your workplace, whether you're working from your home or mowing the lawn or doing homework or walking the dog or going to the grocery store, maybe there's a prayer that you say every time you put on your mask when you leave the house. Whatever you're doing, you can talk to Jesus. This morning, we get to remember together the suffering of Jesus through the sharing of communion. So with whatever you have on hand, juice or wine, crackers or bread, join me as we take this meal together. And I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians. It starts in verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as you take the Lord's body and you drink the cup, may you do this in remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus, of his suffering on the cross, and the hope that we have through the resurrection. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewhychurch.org.